Welcome to The Link Church. We pray this week's message inspires you to have a meaningful relationship with Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, who's glad to be in church? All right, we've got two people that are glad to be in church. Everyone else, apparently you've been dragged here. Well, it sucks to be you. I'm going to be preaching for a long time. I've been reading the book of Acts and it says Peter preached for a long time. I assume that's three hours. None of you have got anywhere to be, right? No, seriously, I love preaching. I love the honour that I get to have to take something from Scripture, realise it myself, and then share with you guys in the room, online. Welcome. So glad to have you here. Pastor Andrew, thank you for joining us online. Um, You might have noticed that I am not Pastor Andrew. I'm his younger, less beardy, not quite as good-looking self. (laughs) But don't stress, he will be returning. So today we're going to be starting a series on praise, and I've got part one, and then next week he's going to come back, close off, preach the part two of this series. Please don't miss next week. It is going to blow your minds. And so today, I get the privilege and the honour to be able to start talking about praise. Now, this is an area that is super, super important to me. I love praise. I'm a little bit biased. I talk to the worship team about it a lot, pray for them. They have heard me go on about praise for hours. Uh, I'm not going to do that to you today, but I am very tempted. But before I go any further, I just want to quickly deal with this misconception that a lot of us have about praise. Now, if you ask a typical Christian, what is praise? They'll tell you it's the two songs that we sing at the start of a church service. And you can recognise it because I'm playing the electric guitar and not the acoustic guitar. Like, there's an old rule of thumb amongst worship leaders that says if you're using an electric guitar, it's praise. And if you're using an acoustic guitar, it's probably worship. Now, this is an absolutely abysmal definition. Because praise is more than just the songs that we sing. Like, there is so much more to praise than just singing a song in church. Now, I'm not going to touch on that today. I'm going to leave that for Pastor Andrew next week, and that's why I say, please come next week. He's going to blow your mind. It's going to be awesome. Today, I'm just going to camp in that abysmal definition of praise as two songs that we sing at the start, because I feel like before we can go out and look at what praise is in the world, we've got to get that little bit right first, the bit where there's a worship leader guiding us through, and it's easy. Before we can go out and live praise... We've got to get that little bit right. And if I'm honest, I don't think that the church does. Not you guys. I'm not talking about the link. I think we're pretty good here at the link. But at most churches, if you ask people about praise, they treat it as if it's a 10-minute filler time at the start of a service where people who are late can come in and find their seats and not miss anything important. Thank you. And for me, that's scary. Like, I'm terrified at the thought that someone might miss out on praise because they thought it was just filler time. Like, I can personally attest that by what I've experienced, that my biggest breakthroughs, I'm talking about when I come into church and I'm at my lowest, when I'm despondent, when I think there's no hope for the future, when I think that God could not have a plan for my life and leave feeling empowered and full of the Holy Spirit and God's given me purpose and destiny again, those moments don't happen in worship. They haven't happened for me in the word, they've happened in praise. And so it is terrifying to me that there are people that are going through their Christian lives not experiencing the kind of breakthrough that happens in praise because we think of it as filler time or not important. And so today what I'm hoping to do is I just want to go to a scripture and I want to show you one thing, one very simple idea that I think is going to ignite passion for praise again. I think you're going to look at it with a new light. You're going to have a new appreciation for what we do up here why we gather together around and praise God. And I think you're going to be able to live it out, not just here, but also in your day-to-day lives. Amen? 
Awesome. We okay if I just jump straight into the word? Cool. I've got a lot to pull out of this scripture, and I picked a long one. Uh, so we're just going to jump straight in. Now, before I announce where we're going, does anyone know what the first example of a praise song in the Bible is? Deb, you're not allowed to answer. I told you this week. Annie, you either. Anyone know? Believe it or not, it doesn't, it's not until the parting of the Red Sea do we get a praise song recorded in Scripture. Like, people have been praising God since the start of time, but it takes thousands of years before someone thinks, hey, maybe we should write these down. And it doesn't happen until Moses and Miriam cross the Red Sea, and on the other side of that, they start praising. So we're going to be going to Exodus chapter 15, and I think Annie's got a page number for us. Page 53, if you're using the church Bibles, please, if you haven't got one, grab yourself a hold of one. They're awesome. Uh, And I'm just going to give you a little bit of context for these scriptures, because I think it's important when we unpack something like this. We know what's happened before and why it's important. So in this case, this is where God has chosen his people, the Israelites, and he's called them out of slavery. He's pulled them out of Egypt, he's rescued them, he's delivered them, and he said, I have a land for you, and I'm going to give it to you and your children forever. And so they're on their way. Then the Egyptians realise, hang on, we've just let our entire economy get up and leave. I don't want to build the pyramids. That sucks. It takes hard labour. Let's go get those slaves back, make them keep building our pyramids. And so you've got the world's slowest chase scene between the Israelites who are marching through the desert and these Egyptians that are also marching through the desert on chariots and giving that a go. Takes months and months and months and months, but it finally comes to a stop when Israel is backed up to a sea. They look around and there are miles of water before them. They can't cross it, they don't have boats. They've got lots of goats, which don't do so well in the boats. <laughs> and they're stuck, and they know the Egyptians are after them. And so they start camping, and they start thinking, you know, what are we going to do to cross this ocean? And suddenly, on the top of the hill, the Egyptian army starts to march against them, and all hope is completely lost. There's no way out. In front of you is death by a sword. Behind you, death by drowning. Not a lot of great options here. And so they get on their knees and they start crying out to God, complaining, God, why did you lead us out of Egypt? We were living in slavery, but at least it was something. Why have you dragged us out into the desert just so we can die? And in that moment, God decides, all right, enough of you whinging, it's time for me to move. And from the heaven starts raining fire until a wall separates this Egyptian army from the Israelites. A giant wall of fire separating chariots and charioteers from a bunch of people that have been marching through a desert. And if that wasn't enough, the ocean behind them splits in two and dry land appears down the middle. Every Israelite crosses through that dry land to safety to the other side. The wall of fire comes down, the Egyptians start racing their chariots through and the sea comes back together and swallows the entire army. Now, I've used a couple of clips. Pro-presenter having a moment or... Okay, no, that's fine. I'd grabbed a couple of clips out of Prince of Egypt just to get you to be able to see what it would look like. I couldn't show you the whole thing in video because there's this thing called copyright. And I wanted the people online to be able to watch this message. Um, But I need to make it clear. I might be using a cartoon as a visual image, but this is not a cartoon. This is history. This is the story of what God does for his people. And so, but I do love these as a visual reference because it allows you to think... You know, what would it have been like to have been there? To have watched fire rain down from heaven, an ocean split in half, and for God to rescue you where there was no way. 
Like in that moment on the other side, standing in a foreign land that you were promised but you never thought you would see, what could you say? What do you say to a God that has just brought you through the impossible and given you hope and future and destiny? Like no words that I could come up with could ever compare to the magnitude of what he had done, except song. The only thing that I could think to offer up to God in that moment would be praise. And that's what these Israelites are doing. So we're going to read from verse 1, Exodus chapter 15. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and army he has hurled into the sea. The finest of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters gushed over them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. This would be an awesome song to sing next week. Your right hand, O Lord, is glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, smashes the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow those who rise against you. You unleash your blazing fury and it consumes them like straw. At the blast of your breath, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood straight like a wall. In the heart of the sea, the deep waters will become hard. The enemy boasted, I will chase them and catch up with them. I will plunder them and consume them with... I will flash my sword, my powerful hand will destroy them. But you blew your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you among gods, O Lord, glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders? And this goes on for like quite a bit, so I'm just going to skip a bit and jump down to verse 18. The Lord will reign forever and ever. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and charioteers rushed into the sea, the Lord brought the water crashing down on them, but the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground. Then, after this singing, Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine and led all the women as they played their tambourines and danced. And Miriam sang this other song to the Lord. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. Amazing, right? Like, I love that these two are the first worship praise songs that are ever recorded in Scripture. A long one by Moses and then a really short one by Miriam. I think that's great because it says that praise can be many, many different things. Like just in that, you've already got a lesson about praise. And so I'd encourage you, please, in your own time, go read these scriptures, study them, pull out all the lessons from them. Everything that you need to know about praise is in these two songs. But for today, I just want to pull out one thing from this scripture, and I'm going to do it in three parts. So I'll go through the three parts first, and then I'll show you the one thing that I want you to remember. And I really think that that one thing is going to change the way that you see praise. Amen? All right, ready to dive in? Everyone got their seatbelt strapped? All right. Because the first thing I want to show you is not at the start of this scripture. It's at the end. Verse 20. Then Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine and led all the women as they played their tambourines and danced. Now, first of all, warning to all of you, please don't bring tambourines. I will cry. I have a vendetta. But the thing that I noticed about this verse is that there's no 36-hour montage here where, like, Miriam and Moses go away and they start planning bars on a right board and they 
start like making a sick beat and then they teach the Israelites, they hold auditions and they see who gets the star part. There's none of this like production value or lights or anything. All there is is just Miriam running along, grabs a tambourine, probably steals it from someone and then goes, I'm going to start singing because the joy that is within me is so great, I can't help but praise. And the beautiful thing that I learn here is that praise was never meant to be something that we have to learn to do. It doesn't have to be something that we have to plan in advance. It can be, don't get me wrong, adding extra elements to praise is awesome. But that's not your starting point. The starting point for praise is what's in your heart. And it's meant to be, the thing that starts praise is meant to be something that is deep in us and deep in every single human being on the planet. God is not asking you for this super precise, amazing musicality, beautiful voices that are harmonious and working together. He's asking for an attitude of the heart. And so we need to stop being so self-conscious when we come in here on a Sunday thinking, what is the person next to me going to think about my voice? You know, did we hit that note right? Kurt stuffed up on his pedal again. We don't have to think about stuff like that. As long as our heart condition is right, it's good praise. Praise is all about the heart. And similarly, don't let a spiritual lack stop you from praising. Like, you don't need all these technical elements to praise, but you also don't need a super deep theology. You'll notice here that when the Israelites are praising, they're not these amazing people that know God, that have his law, that have his scriptures. In this moment, they're just a random people that he pulled out of the desert. He hasn't given them the Torah. He hasn't given them the commandments. He hasn't even given them anything to go on. The only thing that they know about God is that he led them out of Egypt and that he calls himself I am. They don't have a deep theology for praise. And so we don't need a deep theology for praise to start praising. No matter how new you are to God, you don't have to go any deeper to start praising. You can start from where you are. For those of you that want a quick scriptural reference, check out Romans chapter 1. I'm going to read from verse 21. Don't bother turning there. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him. This is talking about the unbelievers. As God will give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas about what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshipping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshipped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Now, the thing that jumped out about jumped out about that to me was that God expected praise from people that didn't know him. God expected praise from unbelievers. God would not expect that kind of praise from an unbeliever if it was impossible for them to praise God. And in fact, if you go through the Old Testament, you see time and time and time again where nations outside of Israel start to praise God. You've got Job, you've got Naaman, you've got King Artaxerxes. Like, praise is not something that is given to just the believer. You don't have to earn it. It's not given to you at salvation. It's given to every human being on this planet. And so I just wanted to clear that up a little bit. The unbeliever, when encountering God, will be able to praise him for who he is. And so you, where you're at, no matter what you've done, where you've been, how much you think you're disqualified, how little you know, you can praise God. If the unbeliever can praise God, you can praise him too. Amazing, right? All right. So next thing, we know that we can praise God, we know that it's internal inside of us and we already have all the qualifications we need. But how do we actually go about praising God? Let's go back to this passage in Exodus. So from verse 1, 
Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. And this is the bit I want to focus on. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Notice the pattern here. The Israelites observe God. They see him. They encounter him. And from that, they start to praise. It's not something that's manufactured. It's when they encounter God, they start to praise. They don't have to force it or make it happen. It's a natural response from every human being when we encounter God. And it should be the same for us. When we behold who God is in all his majesty and all his glory, it is impossible for us not to want to start praising. And as we start to get our heads around this, I want to highlight one potential danger of getting this wrong and in a blessing of getting it right. So the danger is this. Because praise has to be a response to God and it has to be authentic from the heart, it can never be something that we can manufacture or fake. Now, this is dangerous for people, especially like me, who, when they encounter a failure, decide to double down and try harder. Like, if I come in here on a Sunday and I'm going to praise God and I'm not feeling it, my first response is play harder, sing harder, focus on the musicality of it harder, try and hit the right notes better. But that's never going to work because praise was never meant to be done in our own strength. More effort's not going to make it happen. And that's tricky because, again, I think it's the same for a lot of people. When we struggle with something, our approach is to put more effort in. And that's not going to work with praise. So that's the danger. Don't fall into the trap of trying to make praise happen. Just relax, focus on God, and you'll start praising. And that's the beautiful flip side of it, is that you don't have to do it in your own strength. God gave you the gift of praise as a free gift that you can offer back to him. And so in those tough times where you're coming in and you're struggling to praise, you don't have to find the strength within you. You can just focus on God and naturally praise will start to flow. Like, you know this to be true. How many of you come in here on a Sunday and you've just had the absolute worst week? Yeah, all the time. It's something about Sundays that just seem to be a catalyst for things going wrong. Like, you can have the greatest kids in the world... Put them to bed Saturday night, absolute angels. Don't give me that look. (laughs) You put your kids to bed Saturday night and they are angels. And somehow in the 10-hour window between when you put them to bed and they get up at 5 a.m. in the morning, they have, for seemingly some reason, turned into complete terrorists. AKs and RPGs and all. Like, you can have an amazing week at work. You can stay late on Friday night making sure that the office is pristine. And yet somehow... In the 24 hours of Saturday, when no one's come in, the whole place will have burnt to the ground. Someone's calling you going, we need you to come in now. I don't care how good your marriage is. I've heard this from other people. This is not Shane and Deb. They're perfect, obviously. But you can have the best marriage in the world. And the minute you climb into the car to go to church, suddenly that is just a catalyst for fights out of nowhere. There is no better time to start a fight than in the car on the way to church. And so imagine if at the end of that rough week at work, kids acting like terrorists, a fight in the car over, you came into this place five minutes late, you're disgruntled, you're angry, you're completely dazed and confused. Imagine if in that moment you had to try and make this thing we call praise happen. Like imagine if you had to put it together, manufacture it and offer something from yourself to God. It would literally be impossible. And so that's the beautiful thing about praise is that all we have to do is focus in on who God is Take a deep breath, 
focus on him, and naturally that praise will start to flow. So when you're in those moments and you've barely made it to church and you're feeling angry and days can confused, all you've got to do is focus on who God is and you'll start praising. Amen? Amen. Now there's one more, except there's one sort of exception to this rule. Well, not an exception, it still works. But the truth is, in the times where you need praise the most, it is hardest to praise. We've already talked about Sundays. When you come in and you know that you want to praise God on a Sunday, everything will try and stop you from praising. And it's the same during the week. When you need to praise most is the moment where it becomes impossible to praise. Say, for example, you want to praise God as healer. You need to praise God as healer. The moment where you need to praise God as healer the most is when you're waiting on a miracle. But that is the toughest time to declare that God is healer. It is difficult to say that God is your provider in the moments where your bank account is on the wrong side of zero and a bank's coming after you for a mortgage. It is, impo- it is barely possible to declare that God is your deliverer when day after day after day after day you get stuck in the same toxic habits, the same toxic routines, when you're feeling like you're going back to that same sin again and again and again and again and again. It becomes difficult to say that God is your deliverer. So what can you do in those moments? Well, it's in this scripture as well. You don't necessarily have to focus on who God is in those moments. You can focus on what he's done. God isn't asking you to grit your teeth and pretend that he's still healer if you can't see it. Although if you can make that declaration by faith, go for it because it's awesome. God is saying, I will remind you that I am a healer. I will show you. I will give you example and testimony. And then you can stand on the promise of what I've done in other people's lives and say that you are healer because you've seen it. And sometimes in those moments where you're feeling empty and you've got no, you feel like you've got no hope, all you have is the testimony of what God has done in the past. Take the Israelites. Again, as I say, at this stage of the journey, they don't know anything about God. They don't have a Torah to stand on. They don't have the character and the names of God to stand on. The only name that they have for him at that point is I am, which doesn't clear up a whole lot. So when they're praising him, it's not from a place of they know who God is. They're praising him for the fact that they've seen him part an ocean, lead them out of Egypt, rain fire from heaven. And it's the same for you guys. Like if you don't have testimony and stories in your own life, believe it or not, scripture is full of them. Scripture is there to show you what God has done in history so that you can stand on that in your tough moments and your situations. Like we see example time after time and time after again of God being faithful, God healing, God restoring, God delivering, God providing. If you need something to stand on, God is the one that created heaven and earth. He called a people out of slavery. He parted the seas, made food fall down from the sky for them. He gave them a law that would divide between life and death so that they could have life and not death. And sudden, and when they couldn't even get that right, he came down to earth in the human being of Jesus Christ, died in our place, paying the penalty for every toxic behaviour, every selfish habit, every moment of lust and envy and greed and anger. He paid it all so that we could still spend eternity with him. That's the God that we praise. The God that came and delivered us out of slavery to sin and death and brought us into life. And any single one of those events would be a reason to praise him from the start of time until the end of days. But he didn't just do one of them. He did all of that. And so in light of that, how could we not praise this God? 
who has done all of that for us. How could we not want to stand there and declare his power, his awesomeness, his unfailing love, that he is good and gracious and holy and loving? When we look at all of that, I just find that my, the things that I'm struggling with and the things that I feel are so significant start to shrink in comparison to the amazing things that God has done. Like this is a God that conquered death. Cancer seems like such a small thing compared to a God that conquered death, amen? Sickness feels like such a small thing compared to the God that conquered death. Disease feels like a small thing to the God that conquered death. Sadness and depression and anxiety seem like a small thing in the wake of the joy that God has won for us. As Paul writes, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. So if you're in that place of suffering, turn your eyes on Jesus and start praising If you're in a place where you're feeling fantastic, life is going amazingly for you, turn your eyes on Jesus and start praising him, thanking him for all that he's done. No matter what season of life you're in, turn your eyes on Jesus, look at what he's done and start praising him. That's all it takes to praise. It's not a complicated process. It's not a difficult process. We look at who God is. We look at what he's done and our natural response is to praise him. And so when we come in here on a Sunday and we sing these songs, we're singing what he's done, we're singing what he's going to do, we're seeing what we've seen him do in our lives. And from that place, praise starts to flow. Amen? Can we keep our eyes on Jesus? Can we praise him for who he is? Can we praise him for what he's done? And can we let our heart cry out to him? Amen. Come on, bow your heads. I want to pray for you. I think about praise quite a lot as a worship leader, as someone that looks after the worship team. Like it's something that's near and dear to my heart. I think about it quite a lot. And I really believe this. I think we're at a bit of a a flashpoint where things could go one of two ways. Either we could keep doing the same thing week in, week out, seeing the same results we've seen, the same stagnant church growth, the same continuation of no miracles. We could see the same no breakthrough. Or we could start to see a generation that praises God in spirit and in truth. We could see a generation of praise that opens prison doors like the apostles saw, that breaks chains like Paul and Silas saw. I believe that we could see a praise where people walk into the room during praise and break down in the presence of an almighty God. I believe that if we're willing, we'll see people finding breakthrough in the midst of praise and we'll start to see life change all across this city. And I, I look at it and I think it's just, it's so achievable when we do things God's way. Like all it's going to take to raise a generation of worshippers that will praise God and see breakthrough is to start turning our attention to Jesus and praise Him with who he is and what he's done in mind. It's not complicated. We just need to start getting serious about keeping Jesus in focus. I think about it like this. When you're driving, where you're looking determines where you're going. Like if you get distracted by your friend trying to show you something on their phone, before you know it, you've mounted that curb. If you look out the driver's side window trying to look at a funny sign, before you know it, again, you're going to jump that curb. 
And so if we want our lives to head towards Jesus, it's the same thing. We just have to keep our eyes focused on Him. Maybe as you're sitting there, you're taking stock, you're realizing that currently your eyes are not on Jesus. You don't know what happened, where you lost your way, but suddenly it's hard to see him in praise. It's hard to acknowledge what he's done in your life. Hard to acknowledge who he is. Can I just say, you might not be reaching out to God, but he's reaching out to you. This is the God that died for you died so that he could be in a relationship with you. Like, if that's not love, I don't know what is. And in this moment, he is saying, come, my child. He's not offering anger. He's not offering punishment. He's offering forgiveness. And he's offering a relationship with him. So if you've heard what God can do in praise, if you want to see what it's all about, to be able to praise a God that loves you, to praise a God that cares about you, Can I ask you just to be bold for a couple of seconds? Can I ask you, while no one's looking around, everyone's heads are bowed and everyone's eyes are closed, if you need to make a decision in this place that you're going to keep your eyes on Jesus, that you're going to praise him from that place and you want to see what a relationship with God can look like, can I ask you to be bold and slip up your hand? I see that hand. I see that hand. I see the hand. My hand is up. I also want more of Jesus. I'm not calling you up to the front. I'm just saying if, we can, if you want to take this opportunity while only God is watching and say, oh, I want to start this relationship with you. I want to start praising you authentically from the heart. God, I want to know what it looks like to look at Jesus and to know him, to really, really know who you are. This is your opportunity. Amen. I see that. Amen. If you can stay in that place, I want to pray for you. Lord, I thank you for every heart that's in this place. God, I thank you that just as you have called the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, Lord, you've called us out of slavery to sin, slavery to death. And Lord, that you're leading us into the light of your love. God, we thank you that you change lives. We thank you that you are holy, that you are worthy of all praise. God, we thank you for who you are. God, we want to praise you all the days of our lives with everything that is within us. So right now I ask for every hand that went up, Lord, that you would start to radically change their mindset on praise. Lord, that you would change their perception of you. God, that you would make your presence and your love so real to them they could never understand how they couldn't see you before. Lord, the scriptures talk about how before we come to you, you're just out of arm's reach. But once we know you, you're as close to our heart as if there were no distance. So Lord, I'm asking that you would be that for them. Lord, that you would make your presence known in their lives, that you would start to change them from who they are to who they could be in you. Lord, start changing them day by day. Let them know that they are forgiven, that they are loved, and that you have a plan and a purpose and a destiny for each of them. Lord, we ask these things by the mighty, holy, amazing name of Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you all so much for being here. Like, I get really passionate and emotional about praise. And so I just want to thank you all for being here. Thank you for hearing praise or hearing this message on praise.
Can I ask you to step out of this place in boldness, like trusting God that you can praise Him in the middle of your week? Can I give you, can I ask, give you some homework? Can I ask you to go out from this place and don't just go back to the old pattern of things? Put on a praise song in the car. Find some time with God and praise Him from that moment of focusing on who He is and just see how things are different. Like, I promise you, when I got a hold of this, it changed my life. Like, I got to experience praise in a way that I haven't in a very long time. So can I ask as we head out from this place, can we praise keeping who Jesus is in mind? And let's start seeing the breakthrough that happens when we praise like that. Amen. Thanks for being with us. We hope this message leaves you stirred to a place of action. If you made a decision to receive Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, need more resources or want to take your next step, linkthechurch.org has everything you need. Until next time, from everyone at The Link Church, God bless.